Happy Sunday and welcome to the One America podcast. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and we have a really great episode for you today. And I want you to really sit down and listen, share this episode with friends and family, and particularly with neighbors and colleagues and others as we discuss and try to work through as human beings as neighbors, as friends, as communities, and as a great nation through the issues of how we reconcile and reclaim our history, what history uh, should we be teaching, how young should we teach that history in our school systems, Uh, how deep do we go, why does it matter, Uh, why shouldn't we run away from the worst parts of ourselves as we talk about and honor and admire the good parts about ourselves. This conversation with Gail Jessup White is fabulous. It's enlightening. It's soul-stirring. So tune in. Uh, This is a great great conversation and we're going to do it again and we're going to do more get ready welcome everybody this is your host sophia nelson and we have another great episode for you here on the one america podcast great guest today we have with us gail jessup white Uh, gail is the author of the new book reclamation sally hemmings thomas jefferson and a descendant search for her family's lasting legacy. Gail is a friend. Uh, she's someone that I've had the privilege of working with at Monticello on projects that come closer, which was the unveiling of the Sally Hemings uh, room and exhibit uh, two years ago now, I believe, or three, 2018. But Gail is amazing, and this book is amazing. And she is also the public relations and community engagement officer at Monticello, which, of course, is Thomas Jefferson's legendary estate in Charlottesville, Virginia. Gail, welcome to the show. Oh, Sophia, it's great to finally be on this wonderful podcast with you. (laughs) You're too (laughs) kind. And uh, I have wanted you on for a while. You know that, like yourself, I am a big fan of Thomas Jefferson. Of course, for you, though, he's a a legacy. He is a family member. You are descended from him. And we're going to get to all of that. But I wanted to open up with a quote that I really love uh, from the jacket here of the book. And you're talking about, of course, why you wrote the book. And you refer to it as a calling. And you say this, quote, that calling was the voice of my ancestors demanding to be heard and imploring me to be their spokesperson. That calling was my ancestors guiding me to confirm the family lore and reclaim our place in American history. That calling was my destiny, end quote. Powerful words, powerful book. Tell us about the calling. Oh, thank you, Sophia. Thank you for reading those words back to me. I, um, those words were inspired by my ancestors. And when I refer to my ancestors, it, it includes all of our ancestors. Um, I happen to feel very close to mine. I work in a space where my ancestors were enslaved. I walk on the grounds on which they actually walked. Um, and I felt even from an early age that 
this was a story I had to uncover and a story that was longing to be told. Um, just as a little background, I grew up in Washington, D.C., whereas um, a 13-year-old teenager, I learned by overhearing the conversations between my dad and my oldest sister, Jan, who's 20 years older than I, um, that we're descended from Thomas Jefferson. And, and I was incredulous because like so many Americans, I hadn't been taught that Jefferson owned enslaved people, that Jefferson enslaved people, that he owned men, women, and children. I would learn later, as I, um, decades later actually, when I became employed by Monticello, that he actually owned during his lifetime more than 600 human beings. But as a 13-year-old girl growing up in very comfortably in predominantly Black Washington, D.C., I didn't know this. So I set about, um, even at that young age, trying to understand how we could have been related to the third president of the United States of America and the writer of the Declaration of Independence. So the first person I went to was my dad. He had very little to say about it. Um, I prodded him, I um, uh, baited him. <laughs> I, I did, uh, used all of my resources. I, I, I gave him ice cream to encourage him to talk with me. All of this I write about in the book to encourage my dad to explain to me how in fact we could have been descended from Thomas Jefferson and for reasons of his own, which again, I explained in the book, he didn't like to discuss it. But I'll tell you this, Sophia, my dad, even though I was incredulous, as I mentioned, um, my dad was 6'2", as was Jefferson, had red hair, as did Jefferson, and freckles. And I would eventually learn with all that um, prodding I did with, of my father, that his mother was from Charlottesville. So there seemed to be some circumstantial evidence that there was truth to it. It took me some um, 40 years before I ended up at Monticello doing research, ended up moving to Virginia, leaving my beloved hometown, Washington, DC, moving to Virginia, to Richmond, um, which is about an hour's drive from Charlottesville. When I finally started collecting information from researchers, that helped me, in fact, make a connection to Jefferson and the enslaved people. Here's what I uncovered, that I'm in fact a direct descendant from Jefferson, five times great-granddaughter and his wife, Martha, um, through one of their great-great-grandsons. So I'm also descended from a Hemings family member. Peter Hemings was my three times great-grandfather. He was a brother of Sally Hemings. Uh, these are complex family trees, which are, are also illustrated and beautifully illustrated by one of my Monticello colleagues in the book. Now, there are lots of interesting things about this, Sophia, but one aspect of this that stood out for me most of all as I began my research first as a fellow at Monticello and eventually as an employee was that these two families, the Jefferson family, and his kin and the Hemings family had relations for multiple generations. So everyone knows about Thomas, not everyone, but many people know about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. And many people know that Sally Hemings was the half sister of Jefferson's white wife, my five times great grandmother. What people don't necessarily know is that Jefferson's father-in-law, 
I mean, it, it's logical. I mean, you know that he was, she was a half sister, but Jefferson's father-in-law and Sally Hemings's mother had relations that produced seven, several children, including my three times great-granddaughter. What they, most people, I dare say, don't know is that Jefferson's son-in-law, after his wife, Jefferson's daughter died, had relations with a Hemings family member. Of course, we have Jefferson and Sally Hemings, and now we have my great-grandparents, also descendants of the Hemings family and the Jefferson family, having children together. So that's four generations, Sophia. Literally, well, um, decades and decades of commingling of people having relations of white families, only black families. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, um, you answered my first three questions in your first response. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, that's okay, because this is uh, history. This is American history. It's your personal history. Uh, let me set the table for those of you listening who may not, I find it hard to believe that everybody doesn't know about Jefferson and Hemings, but I know that one of the big struggles we're having right now in real time, Gail, in America is this fight over which history we're going to talk about and which history we're not going to talk about. And we're particularly having that fight here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We saw it be a big issue in this last election, right, about critical race theory and what we're going to teach children about race, racism, slavery, et cetera, and what we aren't. And so I find it fascinating that you, as one of the descendants of Jefferson and of Hemings, uh, have this amazing book out right now. And I like the title Reclamation uh, because that's exactly what I think the country's trying to figure out right now, right? What do we reclaim about our past? What do we need to talk about? Can you talk a little bit about what that feels like to be in this moment where you are literally a descendant of the man who wrote the Declaration of Independence and was our nation's third president, two-term president, um, a man who effectively ended the the slave trade in the sense of not allowing uh, more uh, legitimate legal ships to come in, I believe, in his second term. Um, But, of course, slavery didn't end until after the Civil War. But what is it like to be a descendant? of Thomas Jefferson, the beloved great Thomas Jefferson, and yet see your country in this moment where we're really wrestling with which part of our history we're going to talk about and which part we're not going to talk about. Well, so Thomas Jefferson, and I don't like to spend too much time, Sophia, talking about Thomas Jefferson because he's gotten more attention (laughs) than... um, most other presidents, yep. and um, there's been enough written about him and not enough written about the people who helped him yes. um, uh, maintain the life he had. And of course, Jefferson presented himself as, um, as a small D Democrat, small D Republican. Those terms didn't exist as we know them today mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. his presidency and, and during his era, but he lived like a prince. He, um, he had at any given time 150 enslaved people running his estate for him. And his estate wasn't just a modest house. It was a, a 33 room mansion mm-hmm. and, um, and 5,000 acres of land. And it was, a, it was a village. And without that village, 
and the enslaved people and also white workers as well to, who maintained for him every his every need from the moment he awoke to the moment he went to bed he would never have been positioned to to write to think to produce and he was a great thinker we, we can't take that from him all that he did mm -hmm. so it's it's those people whose whose herculean efforts should be recognized not just the people at Monticello, the enslaved people at Monticello, but the enslaved people, the four million enslaved people who were emancipated after the Civil War ended in 1865, and those who preceded them. Their contributions to America were, were wrestled from them, stolen from them. Their, the recognition of their contributions was stolen from them. Their labor was stolen from them. Their very bodies were stolen from them. They paid for America's enormous success. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it is imperative of us to tell a complete story. Who are we as Americans if we don't recognize who helped build this country? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's right. And you know, of course, Thomas Jefferson's best friend was James Madison. And James Madison, I've been to his estate and to his plantation as well. And, you know, when you look at the mere distinction of colors exhibit, uh, you know, which is about the enslaved persons there at Montpelier mm. and uh, their contributions. One of the things that struck me, Gail, was when you look at the economic impact of slavery on this new country, this new nation and free labor and how it literally enriched America and changed exactly. America in ways that, uh, and this is an aside, I'll say this, your husband is one of my fav favorite writers. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Thank you. His, his Jack, writing. Jack White, Jack yeah. White Jr. Yes, Time I was Magazine. going to mention him. <laughs> and I read him in college, and I never forget an article he did for Time where he broke out, what would happen if America had to pay reparations? Famous article. And, and, and used the nickel a day rate, as I recall. <laughs> and it would bankrupt the treasury. I'm giving you context here, folks. Mm -hmm. If America was to pay reparations, just let's just say, forget about any punitive damages for all the, the emotional harm, the physical harm, et cetera, that Gail just talked about. But just to give you a fair wage of a nickel a day, starting back, you know, from we'll go from Jamestown forward, um, the Treasury could not pay it. And to put that in the context, I think is important, Gail, because you're right. And I love what I've been able to read in the book so far and, and some of the materials that your publisher has sent, I love that you focus on the enslaved persons and make clear the role that they played in enabling this great American Thomas Jefferson to be the great American, even building the University of Virginia. Oh, enslaved people, Sophia, built the University of Virginia, built Monticello, built the Capitol, built the White House. When people visit um, Monticello, if they look closely at some of the bricks, they'll see small fingerprints of those bricks. Do you know why? Because they were made by children, wow. enslaved black children. Wow. So no, the country, the country can never repay us for what we lost. And they certainly can't make up for the trauma, the generational trauma, trauma that we are experiencing. But what the country must do and what we must do is reclaim, that's why the book is called Reclamation, 
reclaim that history, reclaim what our ancestors accomplished, know who we are as a people and feel good about how we are as a people. Because in order for our ancestors to have survived that most oppressive of conditions, they had to be strong, they had to be smart, they had to be resilient. They yeah. had to know who they were as individuals and recognize their humanity, even when those others, when the people who enslaved them did not. Yes, and, and that's, that's a critical important. point. As Oprah yes. says, that's a, that's a put a pin in it moment. That's an aha moment. And folks, the reason that I wanted to have Gail on and have wanted to have her on forever, but so excited that we waited until this amazing book came out is because it is timely. We are in the middle of a national metamorphosis, if you will, a national awakening, a, a struggle, uh, much similar to 1854. I always say that I think America's in an 1854 footing, which is pre-Civil War. And I don't say that lightly, given everything we're watching happen in real time. And when we see that race is still, Gail, such an instrumental, divisive, hot-button, explosive issue, several hundred years later, you know, if you go back to 1607 and you start counting from there forward, uh, Virginia is 400, you know, years old, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. uh, different from any other uh, of the states, even including Massachusetts, who likes to argue with us about who's first, <laughs> we're first. Uh, but talk to me about how you feel about this, again, that race is still such a central core fight that we're having in this country. And why do you think that is? And, and you know, kind of put it in the context, of course, of your book and what you're writing about. Well, I'm, I'm certainly saddened by it. I, I you would have to have a scholar, a sociologist, and historian on a panel, I think, Sophia, to um, discuss why this problem still exists, why we can't recognize each other as full citizens and as American citizens deserving of all rights and privileges of American citizenship. I will not venture to attempt to answer that question. Um, but I will say that we are at a, once again, it's not the first time, a pivotal moment in American history um, we have many allies in this fight, mm -hmm. um, a fight for complete recognition um, for who we are as American citizens and our contributions and what is owed to us as any American is owed um, and as privileges of the Constitution um, guarantee thanks to amendments passed during the um, Reconstruction era. They certainly weren't included when Madison and others wrote the Constitution. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, fight, the fight continues and we can't give up. Um, we can never give up on seeking, I don't want it, equity is the right word to use, mm -hmm. equity. Mm -hmm. there, it's, if, if we look at the statistics, Sophia, and you know this better than I, Look at the difference in the, uh, the wealth gap, the education yeah. gap, the housing yeah. gap, yeah. The, um, the health gap between white Americans and virtually everyone else. But especially Gail, put a pin in that. that. That's an important point and I wanna underscore, mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. because I just wrote an article yesterday about the student loan issue yes. and how the student loan debt disproportionately impacts black women because black women are going to school more, they're getting more educated, they've outpaced their black male peers. Right. And yet the debt, I know this is someone who had to pay for undergrad and law school. It took me 20 years 
to get the debt paid off. Whereas most of my peers that were Caucasian, either their parents paid it off or they got a gift later or they out earned or whatever, same credentials, maybe even mine were better in many instances, but that wealth gap and that family gap and that generational wealth that we tend not to have as black people and I'm a direct descendant of slaves, just as you are, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a serious issue. And so this this thing continues to haunt us in many ways. And before you dialogue further, here's what I want to do, folks. I want to take a break here because I want to make sure this is going to be a very fruitful, uh, engaging podcast. So I want to break here uh, and then we'll come back with part two with Gail so that we can finish out. But I want to make sure she has all the time she needs. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We're back, folks, with Gail Jessup White, the author of Reclamation, Sally Hemings, Thomas Jefferson, and a Descendant's Search for Her Family's Lasting Legacy. Gail, uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about just where we find ourselves as a nation, where we are here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and how race is such a still a critical part of the national discussion. Um, Some want to embrace it. Some want to embrace history. uh, Some do not. Some resent it. Some think we ought to let it go. Of course, you know, here in the Commonwealth, Gail, we got rid of probably almost all of our Confederate monuments are gone now. Robert E. Lee all the the Civil War giants here, particularly in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And there has been a shift. Richmond was kind of, you know, where it all happened. And then it kind of filtered everywhere else. Charlottesville, of course, we had a horrible riot there, a horrible uh, display of the most ignorant kind of bigotry and racism you could imagine in our lifetime. Um, Having said all that as a backdrop, what does it feel like to work at Monticello and to literally walk on the grounds and to go into the mansion in the home of Thomas Jefferson, pretty much that's your every day. Talk a little bit about Monticello, what it's like to work there, what kind of place it is, and, and you know, why that story matters so much even in 21st century America. So um, that's an excellent question. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, thank God those statues are down. Those were traitors to America. Mm-hmm. I live in Richmond, Virginia, not far from Monument Avenue, where those massive, larger-than-life statues of Lee and Jackson and, um, um, and Jefferson Davis just hung over the, the city. Um, it felt like a plague, uh, which is kind of a bad reference considering what we're going through right now. So my apologies for that. But it, they were horrible. They were horrible and, and shocking that such edifices would exist, continue to exist um, in, in the 21st century. So I was there when those statues came down and when some of them came down and in the aftermath and enjoyed the celebrations um, that happened as a result. So, so good for us, good for us that, that, that finally happened in this country. As for Monticello, Monticello is the epicenter of the American struggle, isn't it? And the, and the paradox of American slavery versus freedom. Mm-hmm. There Monticello, where the principal author of the declaration spent 
83 years of his life, aside from the time when he was living in Washington at, um, as president and of course, Secretary of State and of course, as an um, ambassador to France, he was there in France for five years, but, um, but he, Monticello was his home and he loved, he loved it. It's documented, he wrote about it. He wrote those soaring words, all men are created equal. Those might be the most famous words mm -hmm. in history. Mm -hmm. When he wrote those words with him was a Hemings serving him in Philadelphia, serving his every need. And at his home in Monticello were scores of enslaved people, including Elizabeth Hemings, um, the Hemings brother, the mother of the Hemings brother who accompanied Jefferson in Philadelphia. Sally's mom. Sally's mom, Sally Hemings' mom, exactly. So you, we have at Monticello, uh, almost every story you could possibly imagine, every representation of American history, not just about enslavement and freedom, but women's rights or lack of women's rights, um, very complex um, um, relationships, um, rich versus poor, um, um, American Indians and the land that was stolen from them, all those stories can be told at Monticello. So Monticello is extremely relevant to understanding who we are as Americans today. And, but the story that is best told there, I think, is the dichotomy, the paradox of freedom and enslavement. Mm -hmm. And at Monticello, we do, I think, um, an excellent job and we're still working to improve all the time of portraying that struggle. You mentioned the exhibition that opened and the event called Look Close 2018. We opened mm -hmm. several exhibitions then, including the life of Sally Hemings. And in it, we represent Sally Hemings, not as an appendage of Thomas Jefferson, but as an individual Sophia, a human being. A woman who, as a very young person, 16 years old, negotiated with Thomas Jefferson freedom for their unborn children. She was a world traveler. She was a seamstress. She was an emancipator. She was a human. And that's the story that we tell about Sally Hemings. And she represents the many, many women who struggled not only to provide for themselves and for the people who owned them, but to protect their own dignity and to pass on to their offspring as best they could a sense of wholeness. Offspring that they couldn't guarantee would be with them. Mm -hmm. But Gail, let, let's put a pin in that for a moment because again, I want to stop. These are inflection points and they're important. You said a lot there, but Sally Hemings, when... Jefferson, you know, I struggle. I've written about this a lot, as you know. I've interviewed you. We've stood on the grounds together. Um, I don't even have the right words to come up with what Jefferson and Hemings' relationship was. Maybe you can help me um, and our nor listeners. Nor do we, no, nor do we, Sophia. Yeah. No. Yeah. We, we can't know. Here's what we know about them. We know that he owned her. That's what we know. We know that he was 40 years old and she was 14. Mm. 
when their relations started. And I'm very careful in the words I choose. I don't call it a relationship. I call it relations. Yep. My mother would have called, called uh, this uh, sexual relations. We don't know if it was a loving relationship. I, I and the folks at Monticello absolutely do not romanticize what Jefferson and Hemings Good. had. We know that they had children together. We know this from the word of her, of their son, Madison yeah. Hemings. We also know that every time Jefferson returned from Washington for a visit at Monticello, that nine months later, Sally Hemings would have a baby. And we know this because Jefferson uh, wrote down virtually everything. <laughs> so we know that there's circumstantial evidence. We know that um, uh, we have oral history, just as I have in my family. And we know that we have DNA evidence, just as I have in my family now, thanks to um, a, a white cousin who wrote about um, our meeting there in Charlottesville and then eventually did a DNA test. So, but we don't know what, we don't know what went on between them. And we also know that Jefferson kept his word and manumitted are allowed to walk away from the plantation. The children, they had six children, four survived into adulthood. We know that they were allowed to walk away or were manumitted in his will at the age of 21. And we also know that um, according to their son, Madison Hemings, um, she had privileges. She was granted certain privileges that the children were not forced to work as other mm -hmm. children were at the ages mm -hmm. of eight to 10. Mm -hmm. They were allowed to stay with their mother always. And yep. we know that she was um, given her time, so to speak. So she wasn't legally freed, but she was allowed to live as a free woman after Jefferson's death. That we know, but we don't know what their relationship was. Some people call it rape. And yes. to Monticello's credit, we address that head on. Yes. You know, um, folks, I want to say this um, because it matters. If you are anywhere near Virginia in the spring or the summer, bring your kids, bring your family, go to Charlottesville, see Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, because I think that the work that Gail and, and Leslie and the whole team, uh, I had Brandon as uh, the person who did the tour for me when we did the coverage for NBC, as you will recall, he was amazing. And you have these amazing uh, people who are telling the story of this great American president, but also they're not afraid and they don't run away from the truth of slavery, of the privileges that he had because he was a white man of his time that owned other human beings. And so Sally Hemings, uh, I think that you've done a great job with that. The uh, foundation has done an amazing job. And I know that it makes people uncomfortable because I've been on a tour when we took my youngest niece before she went off to school. Uh, I think it was 20 before COVID. So it would have been 2019. And she, uh, we were standing in Jefferson's bedroom. And of course, you know, the person's talking and, you know, they were talking about Sally Hemings and the relationship, if you will, or the relations, rather the relationship probably is a better way to say it. And there were visible signs of upset from some of our Caucasian brothers and sisters who were like, why are we talking about that? when we're talking about Jefferson and, you know, gave a little bit of pushback and it happens because they're uncomfortable with that part being told uh, because they just want to focus on Jefferson, the great writer, Jefferson, the great thinker, the great president. Um, Gail, how do you guys navigate that? How do you navigate that as a descendant um, every day? I mean, what, 
what do you think of Jefferson? I guess maybe a better question is, what do you think of him as a person? What are your thoughts? Well, I think he was a, a complex person. Um, and I, I think he was probably a little confused. <laughs> but um, but I, 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 I would never attempt to get into the mind of, of Thomas Jefferson. Um, I, I admire his, his ideas um, and not his practices. So um, as I may have mentioned earlier, Jefferson was my hero when I was a little girl because I didn't know the truth. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Now he's a, another human being who happens to be my ancestor. Mm. Um, but the, 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 the people I, to whom, the people I owe so much to, Sophia, are the enslaved people. Mm -hmm. The people who passed to me. We all do. Uh, yeah, we do. The, the we people who passed to us, not yeah. to me, but to us. Mm -hmm. the, the, the strength that we have and the fortitude we have and the character we have. We owe our ancestors everything. Amen. So, um, Monticello has a program called Getting Word, um, which was founded by, among others, my mentor, Cindy Stanton. She's amazing. She's, a, she's an amazing woman. And Getting Word co collects the memories and the stories of the descendants of the enslaved community. And at Monticello, we embrace those stories and we embrace the descendants of the enslaved community. We do not run, we do not hide. And that's what America needs to do. Amen. We are better people. Woo, we, you we're said a word. That. Yeah, Did y'all hear people. what the lady said, America? These colors don't cut, they don't run. You, 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 you folks on the more conservative side, and it's not about conservative versus liberal, but you're not being consistent. I think a big thing here that, that you guys expose at Monticello, at least in my experience with it, has been, um, I'm going to use the word hypocrisy. You, you, there is a hypocrisy. You call it the struggle between freedom, right, and the enslaved pe persons, but really it is about a, a hypocrisy of who we certainly didn't admit that we were at that time. Again, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're saying we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And then on the other hand, you're taking those very rights away from those very human beings that you say God is endowed with those rights, right? Except so Sophia, they didn't see, this is, the, this is the salient point. They weren't seen, Black people weren't seen as human beings. I was going there right next and thank you yes. for saying and that's yes, what I think we need than. to deal with. Right. right, right. If I can make you not human, then I can justify what I do to you. Exactly. exactly. But I'm sleeping with you and having babies with you, but you're not a human. You see what <laughs> exactly. I mean? It's hypocrisy. <laughs> but, but let me wrap it with this, Gail. This sure. is, you and I could talk forever mm, and yeah. we will have you back again and again. And when COVID is done, uh, by the way, let me ask you, how have you guys dealt with COVID at Monticello? Have, are you still open? Can oh, yeah, we're come? absolutely open. We're open. People can come. We have some new tours, very inclusive tours, and we have self-guided tours now, which we didn't have. And before, and, and people can take pictures in the mansion now, which we couldn't do before. So there's lots happening at Monticello. It is, uh, I encourage people to come and experience American, American history. And we bring history forward there. And history is not a static thing. Yep. Yep. 
that's good. I am. Um, I want to end with this. I want to give you the last word um, <clears throat> first before I, I get to my last question. How can people follow you on social media or find you get the book? How can they do all that? Oh, so the book can be purchased virtually anywhere at mm-hmm. your favorite bookstore, Amazon, Target. It's it's Barnes and Noble. It's everywhere. Um, and I thank people for for purchasing the book. Um, and following me on social media is not the best thing in the world, Sophia. I'm not, I'm not the best person at social media. I'm working on it. We got to get you better on that because if you're going to yeah. be an author, you got to have social media and all that. But but look, I'll I'll help you with that. Don't worry. Okay. That's, so so that's my last question plan. is um, my last question is this, Gail. Back to the book and folks, get this book: Reclamation, Sally Hemings, Thomas Jefferson, and a Descendant Search for her family's lasting legacy. We're talking to Gail Jessup White. She is a direct lineal descendant of Thomas Jefferson and of Sally Hemings. Uh, And I want to uh, end with this question. Gail, what is it that you want people to take away from reading Reclamation? First, talk about the title and why you came up with that. And what do you want people to take away from this amazing book that you've written? So as, as I mentioned, thank you so much, Sophia. As I mentioned, the idea of reclamation is to reclaim our history, to understand, and this is what I want people to walk away from as well, to understand who our ancestors were as represented in the people I write about in this book, because I'm lucky enough, fortunate enough to know this history, but the history of my family is reflective of every Black American in the United States whose ancestors were here prior to 1865, and that's the overwhelming majority of us. We've, our, we have been here longer than um, many white Americans, European Americans, and it's incumbent upon us to understand our contributions and how we helped build this country, how strong we are as a people, and for others to understand how much we've contributed and how much we've helped make this country successful and to feel to identify that trauma, to recognize that trauma, and to work to end it as best we can by knowing our strengths and Mm -hmm. who our people were. Mm -hmm. And our people were incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I love what you said earlier, and I want to end on this note. America needs to do the work. You guys have done the work at Monticello. Um, It has evolved. I remember going as a child, uh, you know, or maybe little bit later when it was not what it is now there was no dna evidence yet <laughs> there was none of that that annette gordon reed and others you know worked in writing their books and and to bring this issue to the forefront when you go to monticello if you were at monticello in the 90s and if you fast forward to now it is a vastly different place because they've done the work and i exactly. want to encourage america to do the work and gail i um how do we do the work quickly? What what needs to happen? How do we how do we have this national conversation that we keep ducking? What any thoughts on that? So I don't think we really are ducking this national conversation. We're having this conversation in small groups and large groups in public. It's happening. Um, I, I I think that some of the pushback we're getting is a result of these conversations we're having openly, and and I think that we need to move beyond these conversations and come up with a plan and policies to act. What mm. can we do for this as descendants, for example, and there are lots of us, what can we do to change the practices 
in, in the United States that disenfranchise people. We see what's happening in Georgia and Texas, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. What, what can we do for people who have the experience you had of having these huge student loans and not being able to pay them off for 20 years, which prohibited you from perhaps buying a home? And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of wealth building happens in mm-hmm. your home. What, what can we do to address educational deficiencies? There was a piece in one of the papers this morning about um, math, uh, the challenges of how math is presented. Math isn't racist. Math is the opposite of, of, of racist. It's the way math is taught that's racist. What can we do to make those changes happen? And that's what we have to address so that we can have equity in this country, so that we can look at each other, white or black, and, and not say, I don't see color. Of course you see color. Amen. When you look, but you will see a person who is human and who is no different from you, no matter what that person's color is. Mm-hmm. We have to continue these conversations and not be afraid of them and be honest about them. And God knows we cannot burn books. There's so much that we scary stuff happening in America now. But if we stand up and, and continue the battle, which just seems to be unrelenting, then we will succeed. I really believe we will succeed. But I'm an optimist. <laughs> you know, I'm an optimist too. It's a great place to end. We are two optimistic women, both descended from enslaved persons, uh, both have an amazing um, journey in that you certainly being a descendant of, of the great Thomas Jefferson, uh, like you said, what a thing, right? To have that be someone you admired and to find out you were related and then to have, but, the, but the enslaved people don't ever, yeah. those are the people. I was getting ready to go there. I was getting ready to go there. Of course. Um, and I love that you're fervent about that. I love that you're passionate about that. I love that you're like, no, no, we're not just going to focus on the one part of this DNA here. We're going to focus on the other part of the DNA. We're going to talk about those people who made Jefferson and Madison and Washington and all of them. Uh, they would not have been where they were. They would not have had the beautiful homes and, and estates that they had without the enslaved people who worked there and who lived there. So, folks, this has been a great conversation. Reclamation. We need a reclamation. Uh, Gail, thank you for joining us. I cannot wait for people to get this podcast. They're going to love it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have it. Uh, a course available all week on demand folks uh i'm excited and um gail we're gonna have you back thank you so much thank you it was a wonderful conversation all right thank you